Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 96 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is The End of the Line, the Walmart FCPA Settlement. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption and Crime and Compliance. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and rate the podcast uh, so that others can find out about uh, the content we're making available. Second, uh, I wanted to just uh, note our background song, a new one today, which is The End of the Line by Traveling World Wilburys, uh, one of my favorite uh, bands and an interesting band because it came together when in 1988 when George Harrison, along with uh, Jeff Lynn from the Electric Light Orchestra, uh, got together with their friends Bob Dylan. Tom Petty and Roy Orbison, and uh, recorded some great music uh, starting in the mid-80s, or mid-1988, and uh, just thought I'd, it was apropos to today with the end of the Walmart investigation, which has been going on for quite a long time. So let's, let's talk about uh, the Walmart settlement. Um, it was an interesting case, uh, to say the least. Uh, eight years this took. Uh, $900 million of internal spending by Walmart in terms of lawyers, consultants, remediation in terms of compliance. Uh, and finally, the Justice Department and the SEC announced the end of the Walmart FCPA enforcement action. Remember, just going back in time to 2011, the Walmart scandal was first reported in the New York Times and was, I believe, a watershed moment in anti-corruption enforcement. It marked a real turning point in public awareness, media focus, and government attention to global corruption and the importance of FCPA enforcement and compliance. Uh, And for that, everyone should mark this down as a significant moment in 2011. On the other side of the scale, eight years and $900 million in investigative and remediation expenses is not really a proud moment for the government, uh, for good governance by Walmart or even proper public policy considerations in the role of the Justice Department. Frankly, there's no excuse for the length of time this investigation and settlement took. Uh, At some point delay means denial of justice, and it is really unfair to participants, stakeholders, and ultimately the public interest. And some explanation is required, and some uh, some kind of change is needed in terms of handling these types of cases. But uh, from my standpoint, there's one thing that's a big accomplishment here, because no longer do we have to predict at the end of or the beginning of each year that the next FCPA year is going to include settlement of the Walmart case. Uh, it was on prediction lists from 2014 to 2019, uh, and I'm glad to see it go and glad to see it uh, behind us. 
For Walmart, I have to say the end is kind of bittersweet. When this first came out in 2011, uh, and the scandal and the investigation began, I fully expected this to be a billion-dollar settlement. I fully expected this to be a case in which the Justice Department would really push the envelope. Um, and what I think happened here, we don't know the backstory, is that Walmart demonstrated perhaps one of the finest remediation efforts by a global company ever in building and enhancing its ethics and compliance program. The professionals uh, who were dedicated to this effort and remediation should be proud of all their achievements, especially in turning around such a large ship as Walmart with its culture of cost-cutting and low-cost operations, which translated into a very bare minimum uh, compliance program. But the final settlement, in my view, contains a number of uh, surprising factors and considerations um, that raised some real issues as to whether Walmart's cooperation really was as significant with the government, uh, and maybe it was less than an exemplary. Uh, I'm sure there's an interesting backstory to this uh, case, and I'd love to hear about it one time to the extent we can. But let's talk about it. Uh, Walmart agreed to pay approximately a total of $282 million dollars uh, in fines and penalties divided as follows, $138 uh, million dollar combined criminal penalty under the terms of a three-year non-prosecution agreement, not a deferred prosecution agreement, and $144 million disgorgement pursuant to an agreement with the SEC. Walmart's Brazil subsidiary entered a guilty plea to one count of violating books and records in the Eastern District of Virginia. So under the FCPA corporate enforcement policy, Walmart did not receive voluntary disclosure credit because it did not uh, timely and voluntarily disclose to DOJ the Mexico conduct. And that was as a result of the expose in the New York Times, uh, which when a whistleblower went to the New York Times. And although Walmart disclosed the conduct related to Brazil, uh, China and India, which are the other three countries involved, prior to DOJ learning of that conduct, such disclosure was after DOJ had launched the Mexico investigation. Therefore, Walmart did not receive voluntary disclosure credit, even though uh, they disclosed for the first time three of the four countries involved. Uh, Walmart received full credit for its cooperation with DOJ in Brazil, China, and India, but only partial credit for its cooperation in Mexico. And this, to me, is really, uh, I question why Walmart's attorneys would ever put them in this situation, because apparently Walmart did not timely provide documents and information to DOJ in response to certain requests. Now, that for that to make its way into a settlement agreement, it must have been pretty poor performance. Also, Walmart interviewed a specific witness uh, prior to DOJ interviewing that witness, uh, and DOJ had requested that it interview the witness prior to Walmart doing so. I also think uh, that's sort of a violation of a deconfliction request, and uh, there must be an interesting reason why Walmart felt that it had to go forward with an interview, even though DOJ had specifically re requested that they not do so. So those are sort of some troubling signs from Walmart's cooperation uh, that led to a less than stellar performance. Now, uh, on the compliance front and remediation, Walmart was credited for its significant remedial measures, and 
through the years, we've heard about all their remediation. And when you go down the list of everything that they did, it really is quite extraordinary. They hired a global chief uh, ethics and compliance officer who holds an executive vice president position, an international chief ethics and compliance officer, and a dedicated global anti-corruption officer, all with separate reporting lines to the audit committee of the board of directors. They added a, a dedicated regional and market chief ethics and compliance officers, foreign market anti-corruption directors and anti-corruption compliance personnel at the company's home office and in the company's foreign markets, again with separate reporting lines to the audit committee. Uh, they, con- uh, they conducted across or they conduct across each of the company's markets enhanced monthly and quarterly anti-corruption monitoring by dedicated company finance controls and continuous improvement teams uh, with results tracked in a centralized real-time automated monitoring system. I mean, this is state-of-the-art, interesting systems that they've put into place. They enhanced their annual anti-corruption risk assessment across all international markets. They enhanced their on-site anti-corruption audits to test adherence to enhanced anti-corruption internal accounting controls and procedures. They enhanced their anti-corruption internal accounting controls uh, involving the selection and use of third parties. I mean, they built a custom third-party automated portal to evaluate, manage, and identify third-party intermediaries and conducted third-party audits and risk-based anti-corruption training of third parties. Uh, The list is just incredible when you think of it. They enhanced their global anti-corruption training and awareness program. Uh, They implemented an automated global license management system for obtaining and renewing licenses and permits. And they terminated business relationships with all third parties who were involved in the conduct at issue. Okay, now, despite all of these enhancements, and again, this is really, uh, there's no explanation for this, DOJ determined that a monitor should be appointed for two years, who is Louis Free in his outfit, uh, to ensure the effectiveness of Walmart's enhanced ethics and compliance program. Uh, that, to me, again, is a really interesting issue, and I, uh, it's hard to understand given this level of remediation. Now, there must have been some weaknesses, some deficiencies in this process or testing results that caused DOJ to have some troubles with regard to the corporate monitor uh, issue. Now, in calculating the criminal penalty, DOJ only credited uh, Walmart with a 20% reduction from the bottom of the sentencing guideline range for the portion of the penalty applicable to conduct in Mexico, and then 25% for the portion applicable to the conduct in Brazil, China, and India. From a big picture standpoint, uh, Walmart represents a real warning to all global companies that are committed to rapid international growth. Here, Walmart aggressively sought to get into international markets and beat its competitors into various international markets. And in the absence of a significant and sustained commitment to compliance, such international growth is bound to end up in a compliance breakdown just like this, thereby threatening the ultimate success of any international business strategy. So Walmart, to me, is exhibit A in a warning shot 
in, uh, for a business that is aggressively committed to international growth that you have to have the proper compliance uh, supports and a foundation uh, before you get into those uh, markets. So take, let's take a look at some of the conduct that was at issue. In general, uh, over an 11-year period from 2000 to 2011, Walmart personnel uh, were aware of failures in its anti-corruption controls and surrounding payments to government officials. Uh, and the deficiencies here centered on due diligence and really controlling bribery payments by third-party intermediaries, TPIs, as they're referred to throughout the documentation. Uh, there was uh, none or no documentation of services provided by TPIs, uh, very few written contracts that included anti-corruption uh, compliance clauses, uh, and there were charitable donations that were improperly des designed for personal benefit of certain foreign officials. For over 11 years, senior officials in Walmart and its foreign subsidiaries were aware of these deficiencies, and it was not until the New York Times expose that they made a, a, a turnaround attempt to comply. Um, and Walmart basically acted with calculated indifference uh, in order to uh, promote the continued growth of its international operations. Um, in two, going back in time, in 2003, Walmart first considered adopting a global anti-corruption policy, but it was not till 2005, two years later, that they actually did so. Three years later, in 2008, they issued an updated anti-corruption policy, and the updated policy included specific due diligence requirements for review and approval of uh, third parties. Uh, and that new policy was never fully implemented, and eventually due diligence requirements were delegated to specific countries uh, who, and the business there, had the ability to sort of fashion and configure uh, their third-party screening uh, protocol. Uh, and that shows the danger, again, of uh, allowing the business or allowing uh, local design as opposed to, uh, in my view, having a global design and just risk-ranking process for how you're going to manage your third-party risks. So Walmart's foreign subsidiaries in Mexico, India, Brazil, and China were able to hire TPIs without preventing the TPIs to be used to make uh, bribery payments, and there were a number of different schemes that were successful, and they were all directed, and it's interesting how it sort of cut across all the countries, in securing expedited opening and operation of Walmart stores in these countries. So the objective was to get these stores open as quickly as possible to be the first competitor in the market, uh, particularly in Mexico. And the initial New York Times reporting surrounding Walmart's corruption controversy arose from Mexico, uh, and this is where the DOJ's investigation began. From at least 1999 to 2004, Walmart obtained local licenses and permits uh, to open and operate stores in Mexico using these uh, third-party intermediaries. In 2005, an attorney for Walmart's Mexico subsidiary reported to Walmart, and this is interesting that it started six years prior to the, the expose, but this uh, Mexico uh, attorney reported that uh, he was responsible for a long-time scheme to use third parties, in this case lawyers, and this shows you how corrupt lawyers can be, uh, referred to as gestores, 
uh, to funnel bribes in Mexican, uh, to Mexican government officials to obtain the permits and licenses they needed. And the attorney also claimed that Walmart executives knew of and approved the scheme. According to this Mexico attorney, approximately $6 million was paid through third parties, some of which was paid to government officials. In some cases, the attorney, the attorney who reported this himself directly made payments to government officials. Most of the illegal payments were made using the gestores, the local attorneys. Um, the TPIs submitted invoices, for example, using various codes known to the attorney and others at the Mexican subsidiary to indicate the purpose of the improper payment to the government official. It was a pretty elaborate coding system. In late 2004, Walmart Mexico's audit team drafted a report identifying the Gastori's payments as unusual and questioning the payments to various TPIs and the absence of any justification for such payments. The final version of the report, however, uh, interestingly, removed the language surrounding the unusual payments and the questioning of these payments. After initial investigation of the allegations in 2005, and despite recommendations by outside counsel and other Walmart officials to conduct uh, an extensive externally managed investigation, Walmart decided to keep it in-house, and they had internal audit and security employees investigate the allegations. Now, this internal investigation identified several violations and recommended a further investigation. What happened then? Walmart again rejected the recommendations and instead, and this is the most unbelievably ironic twist, assigned the internal investigation to a senior Mexico executive who was allegedly involved in and aware of and approved the bribery scheme, and they asked him to conduct the investigation. In other words, Walmart assigned the investigation to a senior executive who was allegedly implicated in the specific scheme under investigation. And what a surprise. In 2006, this individual closed the investigation, and that was approved by Walmart. So the, the activities in Mexico are certainly just blatant and really, truly remarkable in terms of poor governance. Let's go to India. Uh, and the other countries are, are interesting as well, but not as uh, elaborate and not as uh, extensive as the Mexico scheme. In India in 2005, Walmart was planning to expand into the country, and before doing so, it became aware, it was warned of significant corruption risks in securing licenses and permits. They also had a joint venture partner who was cited, even in those days, for corruption risks. And then from 2009 to 2011, Walmart's operations basically in India retained third parties to make improper payments to government officials again to obtain permits and licenses. And these payments were falsely recorded in the joint ventures books using terms such as miscellaneous fees, miscellaneous professional fees, incidental and government fee. Between 2008 and 2011, Walmart India's audit team identified weaknesses in its anti-corruption controls on at least six, count it, six separate occasions. Despite these reports and the review by Walmart U.S. officials, no attempts were made to address these weaknesses as identified by internal audit. 
In 2011, Walmart India officials received an anonymous whistleblower tip concerning ongoing bribery payments, and Walmart received then two additional whistleblower messages on the same subject, and Walmart never investigated the allegations. Okay, let's turn to Brazil. And remember, Brazil, the Brazil subsidiary is where uh, Walmart ended up pleading guilty. Uh, it was this subsidiary that pleaded guilty uh, to a criminal case. Uh, Walmart Brazil engaged in bribery involving hiring of construction contractors, one of whom was himself a government official. They also made improper payments to two contractors involved in the construction of two stores in Brazil in 2009. As early as 2008, Walmart Brazil internal audit identified weaknesses in Walmart Brazil's anti-corruption internal controls. None of the deficiencies were ever addressed. Between 2008 and 2012, Walmart retained a construction company to build 11 new stores and paid it $52 million. Walmart never conducted a due diligence review of the construction company. In fact, in 2009 and later in 2012, the construction company uh, failed to pass Walmart's uh, vendors' uh, onboarding and due diligence requirements, which was less extensive, obviously. Despite being told in 2009 not to make any more payments or execute any additional contracts with the construction company, Walmart Brazil continued to do so. Uh, Walmart Brazil hired a third-party intermediary through the construction company and amended the contract with the construction company to include the third-party intermediary. So Walmart Brazil sought to use then the TPI to make bribery payments to Brazil government officials. Uh, The TPI was described as having an uncanny ability to secure licenses and permits relatively quickly, which earned her the nickname Sorceress or Genie. Any third party that has that nickname, you know there's more than red flags. There's a need to terminate them. So Walmart knew it could not hire the intermediary because she would not satisfy due diligence requirements, so Walmart hired her through that construction company in order to quote-unquote distance the company from her illegal activities. And in 2009, the third party, uh, she made improper payments to government inspectors in connection with the construction of Walmart's stores. Finally, uh, there was China, and we're not going to go in great detail here, because between 2003 and 2011, internal audit again regularly flagged weaknesses in Walmart's internal controls relating to anti-corruption protections. And between 2007 to 2011, the China subsidiary virtually ignored all of internal audit's findings. So in all of the countries, DOJ and the SEC recounted instances when Walmart intended to implement proper accounting controls and training programs only to put them on hold or otherwise allow cited and known weaknesses to continue without remediation. This is a textbook example of how internal audit has to have the proper authority to uh, require remediation and the board has to back it up. So now let's just uh, close out here. The last part of the, my uh, discussion is about lessons learned from the Walmart FCPA uh, enforcement action. And frankly, as you read through the papers, there are so many lessons. You could easily write a book about it. I could write a book. You could write a book. Uh, but I'm just going to focus on some of the big issues. Walmart first has to breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, they had a compliance cloud over it. 
uh, for eight, nine years. Uh, and now uh, everything is gone except for they have the monitor for two years. And to me, that's interesting uh, indication that maybe DOJ is not bought off completely on Walmart's commitment to compliance. Uh, so it's rare, but uh, here it's pretty clear that a $282 million settlement, which is fairly large by itself, uh, it's easy to say now Walmart did well. But at the same time, remember that Walmart spent $900 million on remediation lawyers, consultants, and billions in its own time and resources. So I already mentioned to you one of the important lessons is business growth without compliance. Uh, this is a perfect example that every compliance officer who needs to sort of argue or, you know, posit that, hey, it's great to have an aggressive business strategy in the international global marketplace, but we got to make sure we have the proper compliance support and resources to make sure this is done in the right way. Uh, the second message is gatekeeper authority. Obviously, the Walmart factual statements uh, statement is replete with instances with legal compliance and internal audit findings, recommendations or other concerns were ignored, brushed aside, manipulated, or allowed to die by delay. So if gatekeepers do not have the adequate authority to raise concerns, stop a deal, and require remediation subject to board review, or at least by the audit committee, a company is going to suffer real and significant compliance damage. Uh, when issues are raised, there's a written record of such concerns. If they're not fixed or addressed in some credible manner, each instance of failure to follow up can be used as evidence of criminal intent. So a company that authorizes internal audit uh, to identify weaknesses and compliance controls has to back up internal audit by requiring company actors to fix the identified uh, problems by a specific date. Well, here in another profound grasp of the obvious is third-party risks, and we hear so much about this issue, but Walmart is clearly uh, an example of what happens when third-party uh, third risk runs amok, uh, and the absence of adequate control surrounding the third parties is striking. Uh, and, um, you know, even when uh, they started to put in some controls, these were basic controls, uh, but people are moving beyond that, hopefully. Um, and uh, so third-party risk is, again, at the top of our list. But there's one other issue here that I want to flag. Walmart's use of third-party subcontractors and sub-agents demonstrated the risks associated with use of these intermediaries for illicit purposes. If a company encounters a situation where the business or an existing third party proposes to engage a subcontractor or subagent, such arrangements have to be scrutinized closely, and there has to be a real justification for the use of each subcontractor or agent. Okay, another point, independent investigations. It seems almost implausible today, by today's standards, but somehow Walmart executives and officials manipulated Walmart's initial internal investigation to ensure that it never substantiated allegations of bribery in Mexico. The ringleader at the executive level in Walmart, Mexico, was eventually assigned to investigate himself. Talk about improper and really think about it. 
Could this happen again in today's world? Uh, probably yes, but uh, Walmart certainly stands as a testament to a rough, uh, a terrible handling of the independent investigations. Well, and my last point here is uh, just to take a pot shot at the legal profession. When you're in the international uh, marketplace, don't necessarily trust local lawyers or professionals. Unfortunately, the Walmart case is likely to add to the library of lawyer jokes and disparaging comments. After all, the primary culprits in Mexico were local lawyers who were more than happy to pay bribes, collect fees, and then engage in a blatantly false coding system for bribery payments in the invoices that they sent to Walmart. What else can you say? Lawyers can be uh, illegal. Lawyers can be devilish. Uh, and the lesson learned here is that professionals in foreign countries who interact on your behalf with uh, government officials have to be subjected to the same due diligence standards and internal controls as any other high-risk vendor or supplier. This lesson extends to other professionals, and including accountants, tax professionals, particularly in China, where I've seen tax professionals engage in corrupt behavior, lobbyists, consultants, and any other who interacts with the government on your company's behalf. Well, we've come to the end of the line, and I'm going to close out again with uh, playing my uh, the Traveling Wilbury song, The End of the Line. Uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Well, it's all right. around in the breeze. Well, Thanks again for listening to Corruption, right. Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performance in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company. They feel vested and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.bulkhofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can always contact me at my email address, mbulkhoff at bulkhofflaw.com. Let us know how you as long as you got somewhere to lay well, it's all right. Every day is judgment day. Maybe somewhere down the road away. You think of me and wonder where I am these days. Maybe somewhere down the road when somebody plays. Well, it's all right, even when food comes to show. Well, it's all right, if you got someone to love. Well, it's all right, everything will work out fine. Well, it's all right, we're going to the end of the line. Don't have to be ashamed of the car I I'm just glad to be here, happy to feel that. And it don't matter if you're by my side.